That's another day until Sunday. At some point, we've got to start making some changes in our life. So, let's at least consider what the Word says. So if you go to Hebrews 10, 22 and 23... So Hebrews 10, 22, and 23. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What did he promise? What are some of the promises that Jesus gave us? Right? What does the word tell us and what can we hold true? Like, we really have to get to the point where we are, are comprehending, not just carnally, but also in our hearts. We talked a little bit last night about about how things in our life have driven us to go this way. So like, what's the driving force behind the decisions that you make? Well, here it is a new year, and, and I believe everybody sitting here has professed Christ as their Savior, yeah? And so, so in doing that, something else. So in the new year, this first of the year, we really got to start getting to the point of comprehending who Christ is, not just here, but also in here. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Because we're allowing our past and sometimes our present to drive who we are. So more times than not, we allow our, our uh, circumstances to dictate our character instead of our character to dictate the circumstance. So the eyes in which you look at the world change the way you see the world. If you're a traditionally negative person, you're going to be able to pick out every negative thing in the room, right? So I'm, I've been a contractor most of my life, adult life, and I can look at the gold paint around here and see how horrific it is. It wavers and it just like, it's not straight. It's like, oh my gosh. But to anybody else, they see it just beautiful. Now you'll look, right? Like you would think that the tape lines and the paint lines would all be the same all the way across everywhere you look. It's not. I walk into a restaurant. I went to my wife's favorite restaurant, Golden Corral. And we went to Janesville, and we're in the Golden Corral, and I go to use the bathroom. And I got this neat, like, cottagey kind of look in the bathroom, and it's just supposed to look rustic, sort of, but put together. The sink's not cut right. The tiles are popping over here and popping over there. They didn't put the metal in properly. It's just, it looked like a five-year-old did it. I was just and you call yourself a, like, I can't even go to the bathroom. But we all have those things, right? We have those things. You hear, you know, so if you're a counselor, you're always listening for people to say certain things. And when you say that, then ha-ha, 
I got you because I know where that comes from. Right? How many of us who have been in counseling for years can pick out those very things and stay away from the triggers that, that get you into deeper trouble? Like, oh, no, we ain't, we ain't going there because I know that means eight more weeks to my counseling. Mm-mm, I'm good. I'm, I'm tight. I'm right. I'm good. Right? <laughs> so we look at what drives us, and we have to start understanding the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. That it was prophesied way back in the old days, way back in the Old Testament, that this dude would come. And then one day he, he shows up on the scene. And everything that he said he would do, everything that the Word of God said he would do, came true. And it had to. But if I fulfill 330-some things that I told you I was going to do, do you feel that you would have faith in me so when I said I was going to do something, you would say, yeah, Fred's a man of his word. He's going to do it. If he said it, he's going to do it. Whatever it costs, he's just going to do it. Yeah? So we start to get to the point of understanding who Jesus is. And this is where the importance of understanding the word of God comes in because what Jesus said is what's actually going to happen. You are forgiven of your sins, past, present, and future. You are. But in Romans 6, it talks about, hey, don't keep going on to be a slave of sin, but be a slave to righteousness. And that means right behaviors, right standing. It doesn't mean that we're not going to fall. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I did fall this morning already. The dog. One of the dogs. <laughs> it's like 4.30 in the morning and one of the dogs. Maybe it was five, a little after five maybe. But it's like, really? Like, I, I wish we could pick up all three dogs, set them outside the door and say, now go find a new home. <laughs> and they would just do that. Like, in dog years, they're old enough to find a place of their own. Like, you ain't paying rent. Just go ahead and move on out. Like, you don't pick up nothing. You don't clean up nothing. You don't nothing, nothing. Move on. Right? Like, my days of being daddy are done. Faith, our youngest. No, Teddy's our youngest. He might be, he might be about 18 now in, in human years. Two, two and a half. So if he's two and a half, then he's 18 and it's time to go. But if I'm forgiven, if I'm forgiven and Jesus is who he says he is and he says that I'm forgiven, then I need to start living my life as though I am forgiven. You know what I'm saying? Like I have to start changing the way that I think about the things that I do. Everything that I do comes from a different perspective. Does that make sense? Because if I keep going the same way that I've been going all these years, I'm going to keep getting the same thing that I've always gotten. And it makes no sense to be complaining about where I'm sitting because I put me there. Well, I really don't like sitting on these, this chair nails. Well, honey, there's 300 other chairs around you. You pick the one full of nails. Get up and sit in one of the other ones. I can do that? Well, of course you can. It seems so stupid and yet we're stuck in it. 
And that comes from believing a false or having a false belief system. Right? So we have to figure out how to change that. We have to figure out how, how we're going to walk with Jesus. We have to figure out that he is faithful. His word says it. So let's just consider that. Can you consider that it's an option? Because let's be honest, how many of us actually live life as though we're Christian? Honestly, what difference does Christ make in our lives? Honestly. It's the, one of the toughest questions I think that you'll ever ask when you want to get honest. But it's a new year. It's a new year and we can live in a different way. Amen? So Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord God. And, and I know this message that you gave this morning, Lord, is tough. That it's hard to hear, but so is the truth. The truth is tough, but the truth causes us to walk in light. So Father God, let us be children of your light. Let us be children of your truth. Let us learn to grow and to just do things differently, Lord God. Let us no longer be victims, be slaves to unrighteousness, but be slaves to righteousness for your glory, Lord. Amen. Amen. <coughs> for the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make this the comers thereunto perfect. So Hebrews 10, 1 and 2. And I pulled the King James because I kind of like the way that that said it, but if you turn in your Bibles, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. So our walk with God is not about following these rules, right? Like it's not about those things, the 630 some laws. But now we walk in something new, you see, because if I keep dwelling on my sin, then I keep taking ownership of my sin and I never change it. But if I can get it in my heart and in my head that it's not my sin, that my sin has been paid for on the cross, covered by the blood of the lamb, I can start to do something different and start walking out differently. So no matter how many times I go back to the well and I say that I'm pathetic and I'm putrid and I'm a sinner and I'm a liar and I'm all these things, no matter how many times, all I'm doing is reliving that and I'm tearing me down. And so I have to live in a new reality, and that's the reality that was given when Jesus Christ came to pay for my sins. And it's super important that I get this through my heart and through my head because I got to see things differently. I got to see that there's hope. If I don't have a hope, then what's the sense that I'm just waiting to be done with this world? And that's a miserable existence. Jesus did die so that we could die. He died so that we could live. Amen? Amen? So this is, this is still the King James. So 10.2, For then would they have not ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscious of sin. 
So that's King James again. Why is it if we are fixed on the heart of Christ, are we so conscious of the sin? Call something out on us, okay? Right, so if I keep thinking of myself less than, or I keep thinking of myself and my struggles, then what am I going to repeat? Right, I'm going to keep in the same thing until I change my mind and my heart set to actually do something different, to start doing what Christ is calling me to do, right? How many times do you have to burn your hand to know that that fire hurts? One time, typically. Typically. So why do we keep putting our heads in the fire? Why do we keep living life as though the fire doesn't burn us? Why? Why are we so unwilling to give up some of the stuff? Selfish. Selfish, that's a great answer because we do that. It's like, I don't know what else to be. So I'm going to stick with what I've always known. Right? Loser, fat, ugly, tall, short, skinny, stupid, too smart, geek, whatever. So I need to develop a life that I celebrate Jesus Christ. Because many of us, if not most of us, or all of us at some measure or another, actually worship our sinful nature more than we worship the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. We all know the answer. We can all say, Jesus, but how are we living? What are we doing? You know, and, and we need to take, like, what a blessing that today is New Year's Day. Today is the beginning of a new year. Today is the beginning of a new life. But some things have to change in us, amen? And it's okay because we have a God who wants things to change. So this is how the message said it. The old plan was only a hint of the good things in the new plan. Since the old law plan wasn't complete in itself, <coughs> it couldn't complete those who followed it. No matter how many sacrifices were offered year after year, they never added up to a complete solution. If they had, the worshipers would have gone blissfully on their way, no longer dragged down by their sins. How many of you wake up in the morning or walk away from a situation where you lost your business only to beat yourself up. That's like, dang it, Lord, what am I going to change? When is the change going to come? And he says, when are you going to worship me? When are you going to see what I did for you? When are you going to live your life as though what I did actually means something to you and give up the old stuff that isn't doing it? You can't get there. Is there anybody in here that's five years or younger? 
So that means anybody 20 years or younger, how old are you, Elise? Or Iris? 30 something, that's close enough. So at the least, we've got 30 years of doing things the way we've always done things. How's it working? Did you get where you wanted to go yet? How many of you are right where you want to be? No? Why? I don't know where that is. What is that? This is a great question. What do you think it is? What does good enough look like for you? I don't know. Isn't that amazing? And you're older than 30, right? And don't know. How, what do we expect out of our kids? If you don't know what's good enough, how do they know what's good enough? But let me tell you the truth. What's good enough is the beloved blood-bought daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who stands victorious in this world, who walks in obedience to the Father. Amen? That's good enough. What does that look like? It looks like something different than what you're doing. Right? And we can all say it. Amen? Like we can all say it, but we've got to get to the point where we realize that, like, we're not on this performance scale to be good enough per se, right? But rather, when we walk with Jesus Christ in our hearts and his spirit moving in us, we walk out good enough. God already knows. When, so when God looks at you, what does he see? Does he say, oh, Leah, I know what you were thinking, girl. Oh, no, no, no. I saw what you did. Oh, no, girl. Susan, I saw it. I saw it. You ain't hiding from me, Susan. You know you done it. You know you done it, Susan. You too, Char. Don't sit back there acting like didn't nobody see you. Because, hey, I'm God. I'm everywhere. I see it. What if I were to tell you the truth? When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we're, when we're received that we have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We receive the gift of total and complete forgiveness that we all fall short of the glory of God. And so this is that conscious that they're talking about. Am I consciously going out to sin? Am I consciously going to do what I'm doing? And this is also where that thought process change has to come in. Because if I'm doing it because that's what I do and I'm owning my old stuff, then have I really received the new stuff? And guess what? Y'all are the only ones that know that besides God. God knows your heart. He knows if you've received him. And if you have, you've also received the right to do things differently. Amen? That the beautiful thing about, about our new nature in the spirit is that we can feel and know and understand when we've fallen short of the glory of God, but also know and understand that we've received full and complete forgiveness. Like you can't measure up by yourself, and that's what he's saying here. You can't do it on your own, so knuckle up. Just white knuckle it all the way through if you want to. Just, just grit your teeth. And say, oh, I can do this! No, you can't. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. 
We need a Savior in our life because He can do it. He did it. Now we have to come into an understanding of who He is. Amen? And so such a, such a beautiful and completely crazy gift. You see, there was a plan. So in Hebrews 5, 5 and 7, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Now, this is taken out of, out of the Psalms, and Jesus is quoting a psalm. How intense is that? Jesus knows the word. He knows the word and he knows what he was called to do. Offer up your sacrifices. Go ahead and throw money in the box. Throw as much money as you got. I was at a conference once where they said, throw everything you got. Write a check for everything in your, everything in your bank account and throw it on the altar. By the time you get home, God will replenish it. No. You can't buy your way to heaven. That box back there, that box back there is an, is an offering and a tithe box because it's a, it's a blessing between you and the Father. Right? He takes delight in two mites as much as he takes delight in a bigger offering. But no offering that you ever give is going to get you to heaven. It's never going to get you an eternal life with the Father. That's an outward showing. Hebrews 10, 9 and 10. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. What was the original question, Terry? When we take communion, we're made white again. What's the word of God say? <clears throat> Thus who takes communion gets cleaned. Do you see that? Every time you take communion, you're made clean again. You see that in there? Yeah. Amen. Good. Question answered? See, and we can take, and we've all been victimized by poor theology. Lottie dottie, everybody, y'all have, have that one thing. Y'all have that one thing, that one Christian cliche. <laughs> you do yourself well to look them up in the Bible. And nowadays we have a tool called Google. Google knows everything. So you just type in your cliche, hit enter, and see where it pops up, and you'll see that a lot of these cliches don't match the word of God. So that means that a lot of the things that have stuck in our heads are not actually things to move us into alignment with what God is saying. So it's up to you, Terry, to make sure that you take communion as often as you sin so that you can be made white. Doesn't that sound like a law? It does to me, it sounds just like a law that unless you do communion, you're not white. Unless you do communion, you're not forgiven. That's not accurate at all. Not accurate at all. 
Hebrews. Hey, uh, uh, give an example, I think, of what you're sure. referring to. Uh, so I heard it quite a long time ago, but during uh, when we're dieting, some of the diet plan that uh, encourage you to put an image on the refrigerator of what your goal was to look like. Uh-huh. And they equated that to uh, put an image on the refrigerator of what how God sees you and go through the same mental exercises that you would if you were on a physical diet rather than on the spiritual quest. And uh, so when he sees us as his child, to every day when you look at the image, I'm a child of God. And what does that look like? How do I live? How do I behave as his child? What would, your image, what would your image look like? Oh, man, it is so beautiful. It is now, I'm on my way there, uh, but it is, I can't wait. I can't wait to be in the full image of Christ. Mm-hmm. What would that image look like? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. How are you going to move forward in this world? It's important stuff. It's not, just a, it's not just a little thing. This is the difference between living your life as a slave to sin and never being good <coughs> enough. I'm tired of living like that. I'm tired of it. And I got to get to the, the point in my life where it doesn't matter what anybody says about me, I know who I am, that I am not the sum of the mistakes I've made, even the ones I'm going to make tomorrow. That doesn't define who I am. What defines me is that I am a blood-bought, born-again child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, past, present, and future, that I've been sprinkled by the water, by blessed water and washed clean. And by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Something happened in that, in that offering from God that changes us. And it's hard because some of us have been living with our stuff for so long we don't want to give it up even though we know it's the thing holding us down. That's like, why is it that we don't want to let that go? Consciously, you'd say, well, it's stupid for me to hold on to that. Subconsciously, you're holding it saying, mine, mine, my precious. And it's because we're, we're, we're struggling to grasp this new identity in Christ Jesus, struggling because you see, we have this battle between the old beliefs and the new beliefs. The old beliefs telling us that we're never going to be good enough and the new beliefs telling us that we've always been good enough. 
part of us tells us we're a failure and all those things. But the new belief says you're more than all that. But what happens, what happens if I don't have my excuse box over here? <coughs> right? So we were talking about New Year's resolutions. And we call people to hold us accountable. So what happens if I put it out there that I'm a Christian and then I fail? And all my friends, all my friends say, some Christian you are. And I'm back over here in this loser box. You see, because I have a false understanding of what it actually means to be Christian. What it actually means to walk in the glory of God. What it means to walk in forgiveness. A continued and repeatable forgiveness that I need for me. I need to know that I'm forgiven. Every day, every time. But I don't go out consciously trying to sin. There's things that I do that are definitely a sin, but I don't do it consciously. And when I catch myself doing it, man, I'm, I'm asking the Lord for forgiveness, even though I already have it. But I got to be willing to look like a fool for Christ. Wouldn't it be better to try and live for Christ and be thought a fool versus living in the world and prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt? It makes, makes life tough and interesting and good. Hebrews 10, 19, and 20. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Right? Like there's something about being Christian and being in the brotherhood, the fellowship of believers, the priesthood of believers, that we actually do get to call one another up. It's not judgment like to tear you down and tell you where you're wrong again. It's to lift you up and say, hey, I see you. I see you, and I love you. But can we get to the point where we're humble enough to receive correction from somebody who actually loves us? So part of Torn is Christ-centered and Christ-honoring relationships built at the speed of trust. I know full well that even as a pastor, I don't get to come into your life and tell you everywhere you screwed up. Well, we gotta build up to that, right? Like, great, one more person telling me where I screwed up, like, I don't know that. Yeah, but if we build up and grow in a relationship, now you might give me that latitude to speak into your life and know that I actually love you and I'm not just here to judge you. I'm not here to tear you down, but help build you up. And that's why relationships are so important in the body of Christ. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's an always thing, right? Because a heart that's encouraged and filled with the strength and the glory of God can go out and profess his love to a world, right? And St. Francis of Assisi said, go forth and, and preach the gospel always and if necessary, use words, right? Like they will know that we are Christians by our love, 
because that's just what flows through us. But when we're locked up back here in our old self, love is the last thing we see and we hold every thread of love that we might have in us dear and nobody's going to get that. You ain't never going to see it. And I hold it tight, 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 tight. But God says, I'll give you more. You can't outgive me. Give your love away. Pour it out. Pour it out with a reckless abandon. Love people. And watch what I do. Hebrews 10, 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Whew. And this is what I'm talking about. Like, some churches are out there preaching a greasy grace saying, you're forgiven for everything. True. However, say I'm struggling with, somebody name a good sin. <coughs> somebody just name one good sin. Watering. Fetch <laughs> What? <laughs> Gluttony? Where's that? Where's that? Yeah. Did you just pick one of the deadly sins? A lot of us do it. We had it on the fridge as growing up. Seven deadly sins. How about I take pornography? And I get to a point where I say that pornography is a-okay. Doesn't, doesn't matter, right? Like at first, I'm guilty. I'm like, ooh, this is... This is weird. I get to the point, I progress to the point where it's just something I do. God must have made me this way. But yet I'm objectifying women or men or whatever my thing is. And I've become okay with it. There's a lot of sins that are happening that we're counseling our children to walk right into. And America's saying that it's okay. If I get to the point where I consciously do not believe that the sin is the sin anymore, I'm in deep trouble. I'm in deep trouble because can Christ still live in me? One might ask, has he ever? What's the word say? Consider it. Consider the word. Where are you at? Hebrews 10, 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Christ is coming back, y'all. The gathering of the brethren is an important thing. Learning to be in relationship and loving one another is important. Amen? So I just want to encourage you guys to know your word, to walk in it, to walk in relationships, to let down all the things that you're hiding, that you're harboring, let them down, let them go. Don't let them define you anymore. Yeah? We've got to get to that place. And with God's help, his love and his encouragement, we can do just that, amen? Did we have one last song? We do. Excellent. So let's... Uh, Let's worship the Lord.